Fitz Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, daily YouTube videos, and I'm a longtime podcaster. Also, I have metastatic stage four prostate cancer that came out of remission in January. During the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home, and the Life of Fitz podcast was born. Four years later, I'm back in my cancer fight and continuing this podcast, calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I have met throughout my 35 years in this industry. And now I'm adding in some new friends to my call list. And of course, I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. In a summer filled with talk of college athletic realignment, Big 12 expansion, don't I have to finish it with back-to-back Life of Fitz episodes about the people who have been covering it? Last week, we had John Kurtz, and this week, we have my good friend, Dennis Dodd. Dennis and I go back, I don't know, 30 years. We worked together in 1995 to about 98, putting out college fan magazines, first for the Wichita Eagle, then a small company out of Kansas City. He's the Mizzou guy. I was the K-State guy. We had a wonderful person. Loretta McMillan was the KU editor. We go back to when the Big 12 was formed. We covered the Big 8 together. World. And I finally got Dennis pinned down. And let me tell you something. As a sports writer at this time of the year, finding time for things extra, like doing someone else's podcast, can be challenging. And I stole 45 minutes from Dennis And we ended up wasting about 10 of it shooting the you-know-what. My bad. Full disclosure, our website is part of the 24-7 Sports Network, which is part of CBS. And Dennis also works for CBS on the CBS Sports side. And he did an amazing job reporting on all of the storylines between the Pac-12, Big 12, and what became the expansion of the Big 12. And for that, he was often attacked by fans and even an AD from Utah took a shot at him. I didn't even ask Dennis where in Arizona he was. So let's just call Dennis Dodd somewhere in Arizona. Hey, how are you? Hey, buddy. I'm good. Yeah. I'm glad you snuck in the vacation. My health's great, man. It's, I I get tired easily, but that might be because I'm pushing 60, but. No, I yeah yeah. We're all doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I know what happened. Yeah. What the hell happened? Yeah. yeah, no, I'm I'm doing remarkably well for someone in my situation, and helps working That's at home great. helps having two dogs at my side every day, all day. So. Yeah, well, that's awesome. You know, in a weird way, the pandemic worked out great. We lost our lease and and uh, moved home, and it's just all kind of worked out. So, oh, the the power cat building, or yeah, we were down in Aggieville for years, but we had moved downtown okay, yeah. and had signed a lease, and it was coming up after three years, and we were going to renew, but the building sold. So, um, when we said, well, we might look around uh, if, if we might lose our lease, and they said, oh, okay, well, you've lost your lease and if you're willing to move and so it worked out perfect because i wasn't about to go to an office i wasn't going out in public during the start of the pandemic while we were trying to figure out how bad it was and what was going on Mm -hmm. but yeah i'm good Mm -hmm. so you're just out there on vacation you're just hanging out in arizona we are uh 
have a second home here. Um, I'm older than I look, I guess, because it's, you know, it's getting about that time. And uh, we've been here a month, and we're leaving Saturday. Oh, okay. So I, I kind of want to get back because it's really hard to work here, number one, because you feel like you're on vacation all the time. Right. And number two, my phone starts beeping with texts at 4.30 in the morning Pacific time, you know, you know, <laughs> some days. Um, the good part, part is everything's usually done by 4 o'clock, but with uh, realignment, it's just been crazy. It's just, it's the worst. I mean, I hate it. And I have, I have some skill in covering it, I guess. You do? So, yeah, I, uh, I, I was trained well in the Big 12 in 2010, so... <laughs> That's what I keep trying to tell people. Quit telling yeah. reporters that have been covering the Big 12 that we're wrong about stuff when we recognize so many yeah. of these signs of bad leadership or whatever it is. Oh, man. Yeah. We've been studying this for a long time, so don't tell us we don't know what we're talking about. It was, no. a, it was a frustrating and we, and process. We, and we thought that was crazy. Nebraska and Missouri and Colorado, if, you, if someone would have told you that, in in a year's time, you know UCLA, USC, Texas, Oklahoma would happen. They just laugh in your face, right. and that happened twelve months apart, and that wasn't even the beginning. <laughs> At least Oklahoma, Texas, makes some geographical sense. Yeah, that does, and you you always knew they had the power and they had options. Right, and you know if it wasn't the SEC, the you know, Texas would have ended up in the Big Ten or the ACC or OU. But um, the big part of it is nobody knew about it. And nobody nobody really knew about USC and UCLA. I mean, that that made no sense. No. You know, go, I, get, I, I get the money. We all get that. But um, just that was just between the eyeballs and then everything that skyrocketed from there. I've already run into scheduling issues with, I mean, the Big 12's in two time zones, soon to be four. And when I'm dealing with people, I don't know if we're going to have to start using Eastern or everyone uses Central because that's where the office is. It's a mess. I mean, people forget that they said, well, let's do it 7 a.m. Eastern time or whatever. And then, you know, they get it wrong. So it's just, it's a mess. But it's, it's very interesting now to be in a conference that, that will span the United States. It's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy what's happened to college athletics, and and uh, I, I feel like we've been at ground zero covering it because the Big Twelve has been volatile since the day it was founded. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, we we've been around. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. You and I, Tim. You you and I were there when. Remember how Bill Bill Snyder was a lone holdout among the coaches who didn't want a championship game. Right. And remember that? That was a big deal. Yep. As if as if at that point the coaches had any say so, which they didn't. But for Bill Snyder to vote against that was significant. But look how it helped the cats. I mean <laughs> yeah. look at look at the glory it has brought them um, over the years. Uh, it's just ironic. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it it, it it's amazing looking back though. I remember the first arguments in the Big 12 was Texas building a coalition to move the office, a voting coalition to yep. move the office. And 
it started from day one, their power play. And it was inevitable that eventually it would blow up the conference. And, and now some of the schools that left the conference because of Texas are going to be in a conference with Texas. And believe me, I love that yeah. irony. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it's it been started, crazy. Was, it was Steve Hatchell. Remember, they wanted – it was going to be Bob Frederick and Missouri – didn't want a Jayhawk as commissioner, and he was eminently qualified. We're talking about KU's old AD. He was a yeah. magnificent administrator and man. And they squelched that. And so it became Steve Hatchell, who at the time, and still does, uh, lived in Dallas, I believe. Uh, or he had just, he remembers it. Well, anyway, and then, yeah, you're right about Texas wanted it, the office in Texas. And it's so, one of the upshots of this now is, boy, there's barely a thread connecting uh, Kansas City to the old Big 8 right now. I know. Um, the basketball tournament is it? It's going to be great, but obviously Missouri's not there. KU's close. K-State's close. But, um, you know, you have Arizona, Arizona State playing on a Wednesday night in downtown Kansas City. Part of that. That's, that's going to be fun, by the way. It's going to be entertaining as hell. But, it just saddens me a little that there's barely a thread now connecting. And it, it'll happen. You know, they'll start moving it to Vegas one of these years uh, intermittently and then maybe permanently. I don't know, but it's just sad. I agree. I agree. It is odd that they play their basketball tournament in an SEC state, essentially. Right. It's not like right. Vegas, which is kind of now neutral territory. Um <laughs> In many ways, but yeah, it's this transformation. um, And, you know, we discussed before we started that um, one of the weirdest things was having Pac-12 people, whether it was just fans or, you know, actual media trying to tell Big 12 media that particularly the old farts like us who have been here since the founding of the conference. Trying to tell us about conference realignment, I'm like, dude, you're you're telling a war correspondent about war. We've been through this. We know what we're talking right, about. Right. <laughs> and I got, I got, I think I got labeled as a during all this as a Big Twelve guy. That's so funny. And look, I was I was just writing what I could find out, you know. And I think at the end of the day, part of the uh, part of the Pac-12 downfall was not not the media covering it from their sources in the Pac-12. And I'll say this not boasting, but at times I felt like I knew more about the process than the Pac-12 presidents, that I knew more information. No, I think you did. Um, you know, there was that story in May that broke, that I broke in uh, in May out here in Scottsdale, where an ESPN executive gets up in front of the uh, Big 12 at their spring meetings I think it was a reception outside or something. Big 12 and says, you know, we're, we're proud to be part, or, you know, have be with one of our three main partners in college football. And everybody looked at each other. Uh, well, what, well, wait a minute. They've got the ACC. They've got the SEC. They've got us. So they don't have the Pac-12. <laughs> and so after doing after doing some reporting, I just reported that it it seemed. I didn't say it was a conclusion. I just said it seemed that the, the, the ESPN was out as a main linear partner for the Pac-12, which means, you know, cable and broadcast, which was huge news. Um, people refuted it. It's since been proven to, proven to be true. Um, but 
how did I know that? And the Pac-12 administration didn't know it. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, that's, that's incredible to me. I, I thought through this process, I thought the Pac-12 administrators were were gaslighting the media. You know, we've all had sources yeah. leak us wrong information for their own purposes. But as it turns out, it sounds like their own commissioner was gaslighting his his chancellors and presidents. He was just flat out lying yeah. to them about the process. And boy, there's there's a I, lot I of lessons believe, in leadership. Yeah, I can't believe that you'll agree with this. This would have never happened. Never mind the SEC. It would have never happened in the Big Twelve. It would have never ha- it would have never happened in any conference where not only were the presidents didn't know what the deal was for a year, they didn't step up and demand to know what the deal was for a year. I know. That would never happen in the Big Twelve. And they just sat there and just oh Colorado left. Well now it's serious. We need to know something, George. And so I, I, I've already written it. I, I kind of blame them. It's a culture thing on the West Coast. With you got the it. Well, football, football isn't as important. Now, obviously, it is at Oregon, USC, and others. I get that. But it's the culture. It's why Stanford and Cal were almost left out. And as we record this, it looks like they're going to join the ECC. Not done yet, but like it. Um, you know. They, they allowed that to happen to themselves. Right. And so I, I, I blame them. I mean, I, I part of this is, is money grubbing. I get it. But part of it is allowing this to get to this point after a year when you knew the walls were, you know, were collapsing around. Yeah. You know, I've, I've kind of learned through this process that even the schools that value college athletics from the Pac-12 – don't quite grasp the role of college athletics in the greater academic right. picture of a university. You know, it's it's something John Weefald always talked about, the front porch. You gotta have an attractive right. front porch and it's not even part of your inside of your academic house. It just gets people into your house. And it's it was almost like it was the septic system to the Pac twelve. Yeah. It was yeah. essential but they, they didn't really want to deal with it, and I, well, at the end of the day, that's what did them in. Yeah, in a league that calls itself the Conference of Champions, we all know that. Um, you know, they won five hundred volleyball titles. Okay, great, great. Um, basketball, obviously, very, very good. And I, look again, it's hard to have this discussion because we're not talking about one hundred percent UCLA or USC or Oregon, but we kind of are. Uh, you know, that they allowed it to get to this point. Now, they, they had options. Other schools didn't. And, uh, you know, they they didn't put the attention and value where it needed to be. And I can, I can prove it. Just, you know, they haven't been to the playoffs since 2016. And one thing fed off the other. After that, the likes of Clemson, Alabama, other powers from the East would just sashay in and take the best players from the West Coast. That never happened. I don't know oh. about you. I never remember that happening. Yeah, I know. Uh, and won national championships with Bryce Young, C.J. Straub, D.J. Uangalele, who was who was a five-star coming out. Um, Najee Harris, who's from the East Bay, the San Francisco area, who if he 
you know, if he had grown up 10 years earlier, would have been in Washington's backfield or something. You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. Um, and, and that just fed upon itself. So to me, that's my point. I, I can make my point just by saying that it wasn't as important. Yeah, there, there's absolutely no doubt. Um, and Colorado is a perfect example of realization that they suddenly realized we have bought into the Pac-12's devaluing of athletics, namely college football, and been going through the motions. We've got to do something dramatic um, to to rebuild our front porch, and that was Deion Sanders, and I think that changed the entire yep. narrative with the Big 12. The Big 12, me included, was like, I don't want Colorado back. I, would, I mean, they never really right. fit the conference, it felt like, in the Big 12. Uh, but once they did that, like, okay, you know, you're a connecting state, and you want to be serious about this, it makes yep. better sense. And, and it turned to be that, well, it the made, linchpin. Yeah, it made it easier. It made it easier for them to jump in because, you know, they were a legacy school in the Big 8, Big 12, Big 7. Uh, they were in the league for 63 years. And there's nobody around there. Well, actually, there's there a few people. Or Dave Platty, their SID, said. But um, there's not a lot of people around remember that. But it did make it easier to some degree to go back to the Big 12. Uh, you had Dion, who was all in, because he wanted to recruit uh, in Texas and Florida or make it easier to recruit there. Right. And right now at... at uh, at Texas, at uh, Colorado, what Dion wants, Dion gets, and this is an example of it. So it's it's kind of cool to have him back. You remember the Skyriders, where that was the only plane trip we took. Yep, it was all by bus before the season. It was it was in August. It was this time every year. Um, and then we would get on a plane, and that was cool. And we'd fly to to Boulder to preview the Buffaloes, and we'd end up going up up at the Flatirons. Um, getting short, drinking beer and getting short of breath is not alcohol and altitude is not a good, no. not a good combination. So I'll just leave it at that. Especially with a bunch of old, well, oldish sports writers, right? That right. don't exercise. Yeah, I, I, right. I never went on the Sky Riders um, because you know I left the industry got into what I do, you know, during that time period. But wow, what a what a cool thing that was. And I remember just seeing the Skyriders series in every newspaper across the conference. Yeah. Uh, it was an amazing thing. Just and we had we had to uh, I don't go off on a tangent, but we had to write every day. And it, somebody had T-shirts made up of they had a skeleton sitting down at a typewriter and it said big eight sky riders eat drink sleep right <laughs> <laughs> and that was it man yep. for about 10 days it was awesome yep i mean yeah i prefer meaty days let's just all go one spot and call it good yeah yeah all fine. good um and we're not done, man. This ACC thing with Cal and Stanford makes no sense. It just it. I, no, it doesn't. This is such a reaction by the ACC that knows it's got issues. But maybe this is a band aid. But I, I think this is going to only make it worse over the long haul. It it makes sense in this way that we all know that Florida State, Clemson, some others were dissatisfied with the revenue. Uh, forget the fact that their president stared at that contract and signed a 20-year deal. That was seven years ago. So that's on them. Nobody put a gun to their head. But they're dissatisfied with you know, lack of revenue. Stanford and Cal 
are at least the early reports, Stanford and SMU, we should mention that, are foregoing revenue. But it's in the contract with ESPN that they're valued at some number. So let's say it's 17 million instead of 36, which is what I think the ACC is getting right now. That money goes to the Pac-12. So they can put that in a, uh, in a, in a fund and you reward teams. They get an extra 10 or 20 million or whatever for winning the league or getting to the playoffs or winning a national championship. Eh, that that, that kind of makes sense. It's all money. What, what doesn't make well, what doesn't make sense is Stanford, not only one of the best universities in the country, one of the best universities in the world, right. having to get down on its knees to forego revenue just to play Power Five football. Uh, that's what's kind of sad that they've gone to these lengths to to stay relevant in football. Because what they're saying is they couldn't survive as an independent, and they weren't going to play in a league such as the Mountain West with Fresno State, San Jose State. You know what I'm talking about. Right. So it's just kind of sad. It's kind of sad. It is. I appreciate their academic prowess, their um, amazing ability to raise money. I mean, that... That endowment yep. is unbelievable. Thirty-six billion. But it, it it's incredible, man. I K State yeah. just wants one. Just one billion. Um, uh-huh. and um which is true for most universities, but they uh their academic elitism did them in. And they just wouldn't yeah. hang out with the commoners. That was basically what it was. You you aren't worthy of our country club. You must stay off the grounds. And yeah. now they've had to, you know, kind of bend a little bit, but the ACC is a much more attractive group of partners than the Mountain West or the American. Yeah, it's a it's a it, they they can uh, Jim Phillips, the the commissioner and those schools can look look themselves in the mirror and it, it is a cultural fit because it's an academic school. Um Six of the 15 ACC schools are AAU. I thought it was more, but it's only six of 15. Obviously, both Cal and Stanford are, so that's eight. And I, I got to think SMU is, so that's nine. That's half the league then. So that makes sense. But you're right. Their they're academic elitism after, by the way, only a few years removed from the most success they've ever had in football under Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw. Go back and look. Not with the... Uh, you know, not with Bill Walsh, um, you know, not with Jim Plunkett. Sustained success. Uh, I don't think Jim Harbaugh won the league. He beat USC, obviously, but they went to multiple BCS bowls. Uh, David Shaw, 10-11 win seasons, went to at least one Rose Bowl that I remember. That's the most success they've ever had. And that's not only in our lifetime. That's in recent memory. That's since 2000 maybe 2005, but it came to this because they got outflanked by the transfer portal, by uh, by NIL, by, you know, they they started cutting sports, and that was, that went up in flames when they had, they eventually got it funded and reinstated it. That's crazy. Yeah, the whole whole process, the, the West Coast wasn't able to adapt. 
Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. And at the end of the day, Dennis, it sucks. It, it absolutely sucks for all parties except the budgets of these athletic departments. It sucks yeah. for the athletes. It sucks for the fans. It sucks for the media. Uh, maybe it doesn't suck for TV, but I would argue that in some cases it does. I mean, you just moved to USC, UCLA, and outside of to the Big Ten, and outside of playing each other, what's the big rivalry game? Yeah, that. yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of you're gonna see a lot of bad ball too. Yeah, I know there's a lot of brand names, but you're gonna see you're gonna see a lot of Indiana, USC, a lot of Washington, Purdue. Um, I don't know if I want to see that. You know, okay. um, we can talk all we want about uh, the Big Twelve and their their lack of football powers after Texas and Oklahoma. But I think that's going to be fascinating because. Some one or some schools will emerge, and I really don't know who it's going to be. If, you know, Oklahoma State comes to mind, but BYU was at one time a national power. Yep. Um, you know, they failed at Independence, and now you know, in a conference, it'll help. UCF, we know, claims a national championship. Um, we'll see how Houston can, you know, can uh, weaponize Texas with talent in a big conference. And uh, in Arizona, Arizona State, the biggest sleeping giant out there, Agreed. mostly because they have the biggest enrollment in the country. <laughs> I think they claim 100,000 uh, if you count online. There's no reason they shouldn't be good. How, how can you not find 85 dudes that want to play here? You know, uh, it's hot, yeah, but it's beautiful. And, you know, it's the fifth largest market in the country that makes no sense. They haven't been good. So I think that's going to be fascinating. I went sideways with that one. Well, in a twist that the Big 12 added schools and actually brought in rivalries, um, the BYU-Utah thing, brother, I don't know if there's a more heated rivalry in the country. That, that oh, goes people to don't next realize level. that. Oh, boy. I'm glad you brought that up. In, in Utah, I'm sorry, BYU was against Utah coming into the league because of that. They had stopped the series. I don't know if people know that. I don't know if they have games that's scheduled intermittently, but they don't they have stopped playing every year. They had stopped playing every year. It'll be interesting if they play every year in the Big Twelve, but uh, my favorite it's very underrated rivalry. The year Urban Meyer and Alex Smith led them to the Fiesta Bowl in Utah in was O four or 05. All all the national writers were out there. And I remember being on the field and that was the, the early version of the spread. And BYU couldn't figure it out. Urban Meyer was a toast in the town. Alex Smith couldn't be tackled. And it was like 52-17. Uh, Utah killed him at, at Utah. And at the end of the game, as the game's ending, somebody holds up a sign. It's an all-timer. Somebody holds up a sign that says, where's your God now? And I just, I, that's still the jaw dropper to me to this day. That's why we love college football. Oh my God. I'm not making a religious statement. I just thought that is, uh, that is such a, such a throat cutter, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, it's ugly. It, I mean, it it plays on so many levels. It's a, you know, it's the Hatfield McCoys with religion layered in and oh my goodness. It's, but that's been one of the changes um, in this whole realignment thing that so many in the media 
missed. And it's an indictment that they weren't paying attention. When we went through this 10 years ago and Rutgers is getting in the Big Ten, it's all about ESPN getting markets and forcing non-sports fans to pay for ESPN. You know, everyone's got to pay for it on their basic cable now. That's what realignment was all about in that day. And and now it's about rivalries and, you know, quality programming and um, fan engagement. We never talked about fan engagement 10 years ago. And now because of social media, people want to know, are, I know Stanford and Cal are huge universities, but their fans aren't watching games. Right. And, and so that's, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up yeah. for two things, two reasons. I will tell you this when Cal and Stanford were, t- weren't taken along into, uh, into the pack, into the big 10, I was told by a television executive flat out that the Bay area market is overrated in terms of television their stadiums are half full. Why do you want them? And that sounds pretty crass, but that's the reality. Um, another thing, you brought up rivalries now. It was a it was early, last year, late last year, on a podcast, Burke Magnus, who's like the number two guy at ESPN, great guy, Yep. Made this just made this statement that really changed the math for me. He said, we, we don't look at a market so much anymore. We look at rivalries. And if you think about how this has gone, look at this. Between the SEC and the Big Ten, they've really captured every, almost every meaningful rivalry that's out there. Now, I'm not, I'm not including KUK State, obviously. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying. Exactly. And because it was years ago, it's described to me this way. You know, you, you, you bought. You know, you got the ACC rights, but what you were buying was the possibility of three Duke Carolina games in the season. Right. Um, you know, you had the Big Eight rights, but you were buying Texas Oklahoma on Thanksgiving. Um, I'm sorry, Nebraska OU on Thanksgiving, and, and later Texas Oklahoma. Uh, and that's and that math hasn't changed. It's just that now this massive consolidation. Then it's not going to stop. You know, there'll they'll be others. They, they drew the line at Stanford and Cal. They got a last-minute life rope. But the, there'll be there'll be schools that'll be cut out of of the power power five, four or whatever it is. And power three, probably a power two. Maybe as soon as a week when they start talking about playoff access. But Well, let's go there because I'm, I'm intrigued by this Premier League concept of the power two. I, I'm of the belief – it won't work if you exclude so much of the nation. It just won't work. Um, but also, is it really a Premier League? Is it if if you've got Rutgers and Northwestern and Vanderbilt in it? It just doesn't make sense to me at all. To really do it, you have to have relegation, and that doesn't work in the college model in any way. Well, I think I think what you're going to see next. Look, um, obviously. ESPN thought nothing of collapsing the Big 12 two years ago because for about, you know this, for about three weeks in August of 21, that looks like it was going to happen. Bob Bowlesby acted quickly, got the four schools safe. Okay. Uh, they thought nothing of, Fox thought nothing of collapsing the Pac-12. That's become a reality. So on a micro level, when does Alabama wake up one day and say, oh, why is 
why is Vanderbilt making the same share we are? Yep. And I'm just using that example. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Or, or you know, somebody else uh, from another conference. But the big, you know, the Big Ten goes. Why is Northwestern getting the same share we are? Um, and that, they're coming for them. They just, they just came for Stanford and Cal. They made it. Let's say they got a they got a lifeline. But I think that's next. Um, when it just becomes leaner and neater. I would agree, I, and I think uh, I think there's probably a place at this point for um, schools such as Northwestern, Vanderbilt, Stanford, Cal that don't really have a seat at the football table or shouldn't that they're going to form their own thing, an Ivy League of the power level, um, yeah. and yeah, and it'll be a weaker conference. But their chancellors or presidents or academic people will feel really good about it. And we just saw how important that is to the Pac-12. They'd rather blow it up than, you know, invite in anyone from the Big 12. They could have saved themselves two years ago by just inviting in four Big 12 institutions. But none of them were worthy of the Pac-12. And here we are. Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, I wrote a story in 2015. This is eight years ago where he predicted this. And r- roughly, you have the scenario you just described. He said there's going to be, in the future, there's going to be a semi-pro division that, you know, emphasize football. And maybe they go to class, maybe they don't. And then there's going to be a division of schools that emphasize act- academics. You know, maybe they play together, maybe they don't. But that's how it's going to happen. I really, I came up with about 40 schools uh, that, you know, would have been in that academic division. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's all just fascinating, but not as fascinating as the fact that we used to work together. That was so long we ago, did. man. That was yeah. 1995. Um, Bill, Bill Hand, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bill yeah. Hand, he teaches at Northwestern Bill last Hand. I knew. <clears throat> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He was on the faculty there wow. last I knew. Um, so we go to the Wichita Eagle. You start up a Missouri magazine. I start up a Kansas State magazine. Our friend Loretta did the KU magazine. Yep. Um, it was cool. We were we were on the cutting edge. We didn't know it, but we literally were. Um, as you know, newspapers. I I kind of recognize the signs of newspaper trouble even back then. But uh, oh yeah. But then it got sold. That's a whole other story about the next guy that owned it. But um, it. It was just, for me, it was the beginning of the end of newspapers. I could see that there was trouble brewing uh, out there, and I made the move early. I got chided. <laughs> I got I got, took so much shit from colleagues about getting out of the daily newspaper business. Um, but here we are. I mean, we, yeah. we now both report in the digital space. You're for more traditional journalism with CBS, but... Um, technically, I work with CBS too, with my company being contracted with twenty four seven Sports. It's it's just kind of crazy the the journalistic journey that we started at the same point ended up at radically different points. But um, you, that I feel for the journalists who didn't adapt, who didn't get into the digital world earlier, because we lost some great sports yeah. writers who are now doing other things. Yeah, that's that's what hurts me, and I people ask me about. Like I know or something, I was just looking for a job in 1998. Right. Lucky enough to get hired. It's what was then CBS Sportsline. So I wasn't, I wasn't this visionary, you know. I, I remember getting the job, and, 
and really missing seeing my name in print for a long time, right. you know, in the byline. And so that was, yeah, it's, it is what it is. I, I don't think, keep saying this, with some exceptions, no one's really figured out in the newspaper business how to make money in the uh, online. Um, New York Times is trying. You know, they bought the athletic. They bought the basically bought their subscription list in hopes of selling more newspaper subscriptions. And, and then we'll see if it works out. Um, but other other daily newspapers haven't figured it out. At least I haven't read of these massive successes. I had, I have, uh, I've have written, I have read a lot about hedge funds going and collapsing newspapers, which is terrible. It's incredible. But I haven't read many success stories. Anyway, but Tim. Tim, I got to run. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, if you want to stop it there, I'm sorry. Okay. Good enough, buddy. Good to talk um, to you. Yeah. Let me know if you need any. How's the cast going to be? They'll be good. They'll be good. I, I yeah. think people are sleeping on a little bit. I think Will Howard's going to have an incredible season if yeah. if he stays healthy. Yeah, I do. I do, too. I really like him. Um, I, pick, I actually picked Tech because I can't pick Texas because they haven't done it. No. That's why I am. Yeah, they're the most talented team. But how many times have we? How many times have we seen that? Before you know? before I let you go, I got to ask you about Brett Yormark's comments at Texas Tech. What, what did he say? Somebody. You know, basically, I just got a text this morning. Basically, he told Joey McGuire, speaking some breakfast club thing and love it yeah. first of all great booking by them but um right. he said basically told joey mcguire well you did it here in in lubbock last year but i'll be in austin in november you got to do it again it's about oh, beating texas and i'm like that is the most brett your mark i give no shit about it, it is and it's going to piss off texas but now everyone in the big 12 that's not texas or oklahoma loves them even more right right that, that's exactly right. I don't know if he, I don't think he meant to say it. But yeah, he did. Yeah, but that's he's, he's got the he's got the hundred million from those two schools, and he's got um, you know they're out of the league after this year, but you don't you don't say something like that. He's got something cooking. He's always got something cooking. I'll be covering games yeah. in Mexico well, soon. Yeah, no, that's good. No, that's good. Okay, man. Thanks for taking some time. Glad you're doing well. Yep. Okay. Hang in there. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's it for season four of Life of Fits. I was determined to get 12 episodes in like I did last summer, but I got a late start due to my ongoing cancer treatments. And I appreciate Dennis finding time to chat about all things realignment and briefly go over our history together. Great dude, great reporter, was on top of everything from the jump on realignment. I hope you enjoyed this fourth season of Life of Fits. I have so many more people I want to call. I've got good friends still on the list, people that I highly respect. I haven't called in four seasons. And that, my friends, was episode number 75 of The Life of Fitz. I can't believe it. But don't worry. I'll be back next summer with more. Until then, men, remember to go get that PSA checked. It's your first defense against prostate cancer. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you real soon.